time Looking back at what you've made of yourself It's the line that reaches in What's up guys? Um, with Texas in my rear view mirror Want to tell you a little bit about I think last I spoke I was headed to Fredericksburg uh, Per Aunt Meg's suggestion And Fredericksburg, Texas is uh, It's a beautiful town Definitely is like a heavy German influence there Based on the restaurants and what have you And then the next day I was off to Austin, Texas So I haven't I didn't really, I haven't had much nightlife uh, on this journey uh, You know, due to COVID Everything closes 8, 9 o'clock But not true in Austin Where uh uh, you would think it was 1999. Uh, they were there's Sixth Street, which they affectionately called the Dirty Six, uh, which is just a street closed off, like a couple, like a few blocks, and it's just bar after bar and kids your age running around like there's no tomorrow. Everyone drinking, having a good time. Some wearing masks, some not. And then uh, for the first time, went into uh, like a bar and heard live music got to see this uh gentleman by the name of sunny wolf and uh this guy unbelievable blues guitarist uh he was later joined by Birdleg. Birdleg uh, is a uh i think he said he was 67 years old african-american gentleman who uh wanted to tell me stories about his visits to new york back in the day when he uh got to mix it up with some of the uh, some of the names of the day up there in Harlem uh, so it was interesting to hear him chat and then to watch him perform was amazing we're talking like as good as it gets uh, with that Sonny Wolf uh, rock and roll and blues behind him and so uh, yeah hung out that was a good night and, and it was at a bar called Friends I actually went there the following night and saw uh, uh, another band this was fronted by a, a woman, uh, her name was Jennifer Harold. She was an unbelievable guitarist, and shoot, I could have listened to her all night long, just jamming out, and the, the older guys on the drums and bass, they were super talented, you know, doing all they could do to keep up with, uh, with Jennifer. And, uh, gosh, the next day, before I went into to back to watch them the second night. I ended up on this thing called Rainy Street. It's like in the historic district. This was another area that was off the freaking chain like no other. One that I think was more like younger crowd because there was actually clubs, music pumping. Men and women or girls and boys lined up outside. Again, some masks, all these places. They have to have a mask to go in, but the reality is, I don't know how you're going to be in a club environment and not be in each other's space, so to speak. And then, like, down the street, they have, they have like, it's a big open space, and they have probably, like, ten of these food carts and all benches in the middle. You just sit down, grab whatever you want, eat, and then you're, you're like, right on the strip. So you guys need to get to Austin in, in, your, in your 20s, all right? Unbelievable time, which magnified by the fact that it's COVID, COVID creepy. And from Texas, it was on to Louisiana. As I'm driving, we're almost out of Texas, in front of me on the highway, and before I could react, 
there must have been, it was like a piece of someone's bumper and the front right side goes over it, squish, crunch, not good. And I turned the music down because I know something's gotta be wrong. And no sooner do I turn the music down, the, the steering wheel starts pulling to the right. The, the tire light comes on. So I pull off to the side, boom. And when I get out, the tire is literally flat to the ground. This piece of metal had actually like gouged the side of the tire and cut into it, thereby making it dead. Before I left, Papa, uh, words of wisdom echoed in my ears and I made sure I had gotten the car prepared. Obviously it was a new tire, so that kind of stinks. But I'd also had the jack, the spare tire, jumper cables, some rope or whatever. And because I knew it wasn't if I'd get a flat tire, it was when would I get a flat tire. So here I was on the side of the road, cars, trucks cruising by 80 miles per hour. And thankfully, the tire was on the far side of the car. So I wasn't like right there changing it. But nonetheless, I had to clear out all my suitcase and all my crap out of the trunk, go into the well, pull out the spare. And then inside the spare is like this styrofoam thing where the jack's in. I place a jack under and I want to jack it up. And I realize I don't have the freaking crank. There's like one of those tire pressure gauges that looks like a pen. It's silver, I wouldn't call it metal, but somewhere in between. And I stuck that through the hole and I twisted, 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 until finally I got the car jacked up and I was able to take the tire off, put the spare tire on. Oh, so then I go pack, I pack everything up. And uh, when I go to put the jack back in that styrofoam thing, what do I see like wedged into uh, like a hole designed for the crank, the black crank on the black styrofoam, to which I did not see, and would not have had to cut up my hands changing the tire, and I maybe really, really looked hard, but it was it was tough to see, so I'm gonna give myself a pass on that one. And back on the road to uh, Louisiana, our first stop was Lafayette, which is actually the hometown of the uh, client that suggested I go to New Orleans. Trudy is her name. She, uh, very proud of her town. And she recommended this friend of hers that I catch up with this guy because he's the unofficial mayor. Had lunch with him the day after I arrived. This guy's name was Kevin. He's good people. He's telling me about everything and where to go. And But there was a table next to us and a woman's talking. And her voice was so loud, but it was like this New Orleans twang thing going on. I don't know, I was just amused listening to her and some of the stuff that was coming out of her mouth. The other part of Lafayette, which again was a heavy suggestion for, uh, for Aunt Meg as well, is that they have the World War II Museum. This is not your average museum. This thing is like, it was funded by all the veterans. Like it was just a, a good donate project. And it was originally called the D-Day Museum, but uh, supposedly like Katrina kind of put an end to that in conjunction with it wanting to expand. Long story short is they got all this money and they built this World War II museum up and it is absolutely worth the, the visit. And so, uh, enjoyed Lafayette. From Lafayette, off to New Orleans.
I've been to New Orleans a couple times, but it's been work, so I really haven't gotten around. So my my goal is to see and do things uh, that I have not done in the past. And I walked all over the, the French Quarter and the other historic districts, and it's definitely COVID. I would say COVID creepy. COVID calm, I guess is a better word. Not a lot of people, there are people. And New Orleans is such a historical place because, I mean, I, I think it really came to life back around 1700s or something. And a lot of these buildings are from back, back in the day. And as I'll talk about in a minute, there's a lot of history and some crazy fires and things. And there's suspected hauntings and paranormal activities to which the more and more I become intrigued with these things not a disbeliever but at the same time not a believer until I did the ghost tour <laughs> walked around and everything and then I made reservations for the following uh, night to go on the ghost tour to leave when I was leaving Louisiana heading to Alabama I decided that I was going to do the swamp tour oh also Cafe Dumont is the big Benet place where you get your Zeppelins <laughs> I guess we're gonna call them fast forward I go to this ghost tour which met at 8 o'clock it was me and maybe eight other people and this woman and Melissa uh, was our tour guide and she uh, walked us through the back streets of New Orleans which is cool in and of itself and told stories about events that took place in the past things that have uh, sort of shaped New Orleans becoming who it is and the stories are based on events and things and then there's the stories about different ghost things or weird things happening. And the way Melissa speaks, it's sort of like, it's kind of, it is what it is. And it's not whether it's real or not, it's just to what degree sort of kind of. And uh, again, for me, I, it was just funny to, to kind of listen to all this. And then she was telling a story about this one mansion we were standing in front of called the La Lori Mansion. And the story with this is that back, uh, could be late 1800s, early 1900s maybe, that this woman, uh, call her Madame Bovary, uh, and her husband, who was a doctor, they had this mansion. And this is also the time of slavery. So they had slaves, which was not uncommon. But what happened was there was this big fire and the mansion was up in flames. And they came, the firemen, the people, whatever, and they did And long story short, in the attic, they find these like chained up slaves that have died but as they look into this deeper they realize that the doctor was doing like experiments on them and the wife was in cahoots and whatever comes after that so as we're leaving and the woman's talking I, I do a little video like kind of a left to right pan over the mansion just to have it and later on I look at it and I actually sent this to Nora like when you you know you zoom in and you kind of go on, on the left side it's like this apparition kind of comes down and it's like it kind of sinks into this like very subtle red light like fire I 
I don't know what's up with that. I'm actually, I'm going to send this to Melissa, the tour guide, who is a little more uh, versed in, because, you know, you know orbs, right? Orbs that you always appear on your pictures and cars. This is no orb, but I do feel like I had my first ever sort of experience, whatever that may be. And then uh, the next day, I was up in Adam. I think I was up at 7, 7 o'clock on the road by 7.30 because I was off to the Swamp Tour. Hold on, just getting off here. I'm actually on my way to Nashville right now and exit says Memphis, which has me going the right way. All good. So drove uh, about an hour outside of New Orleans and, and I was en route to Mississippi because I want, I spent, want to spend one night in Mississippi, one night in Alabama. And also, you know, obviously interesting to kind of go where you only read about and never really experience the people, places or things. So when I got to the Swamp Tour, boom, boom, probably about 12 other people myself. We meet Captain Sonny. Picture a swamp boat captain who's probably an ex-Marine, I'm guessing. Good posture and very uh, intense presence. But this guy was funny, witty, and knew every damn thing about swamp. What lives there? What grows there? What changes? You see each season, blah, blah, blah. And I was just, it was just so entertaining. And as we drove around the swamp in this boat, sometimes we'd go fast, which is cool. And then other times we'd be torn see alligators, possum and bird life. Uh, we didn't get to see uh, hogs, which he thought we might. But the alligators, because now it's, what is it? It's like November 24th as I'm speaking to you. Not that it's cold, cold there, but colder than normal. So the alligators don't tend to be swimming a lot. They're out on the rocks sunning and chilling. And that's what I got to see. So good for them, right? It was about an hour and a half long and totally worth the price of admission. And once I finished up there, it was off to Alabama. Actually, it was a nice ride, but kind of cool, tall trees. And they create like almost an alleyway as you're driving through. My first stop was Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And I did not know this until I got there, but it is the home of the University of Alabama. And uh, Roll Tide is what they say. And I went over to the campus, got to check out their stadium. Obviously, they're like always one of the best college football teams. So the gentleman that founded University of Alabama, his name is uh, Denny Chimes. They worship this guy. And there's a big clock tower thing that chimes on the hour, recognize him. But what was really cool is I'm driving down. It's like they call it like sorority row. Literally, these like one after the other are like these mansions, but they're for, they're for the college girls. So I can't imagine what life must be like there. Well, I, I didn't see a lot going on COVID wise. I don't know where they're at with that. I don't know if they, maybe they don't even have to leave their mansions because they live in large, but you cannot believe. So got to see uh, the university, I actually ran to this guy, I had to ask directions. Next thing you know, he's giving me the whole history of the University of Alabama. He was a graduate like 50 years ago. All right, sir. I'm Paul. I'm Greg. Greg, pleasure to have met you. And who knows? Maybe I'll run into you a little we later. Might, we might again. I'll have fun telling my wife that I got found somebody lost from New York City. <laughs> Story of my life. Take care. Went out, 
got a bite to eat and then wrapped it up. Next morning I woke up, went to Birmingham, Alabama. Birmingham is uh, it's a cool little town too. I uh, didn't know what I was gonna do there, but I definitely wanted to get one more night in Alabama. And I ended up going to this place called Vulcan Park. And Vulcan Park, which is home to the Vulcan statue, which was Birmingham's way of sort of putting their chest out at the St. Louis World Fair in 1904. And now this park was, and they had a museum. Actually, you know what? I gotta, I gotta take a break. I, I skipped right over Mississippi before I got to Alabama, but uh, I got there actually late. I drove around, I saw the University of Southern Mississippi, which again, similar to Alabama, very sort of grandiose and beautiful buildings. And then I went out for a, a bite and a drink, walked around uh, a, a bit, and uh, it's called Hattiesburg. It's like Haiti, Hattiesburg, uh, Mississippi. And uh, once again, a little diner where I ate, it was like uh, something out of the South and they're speaking with their Mississippi twang. And it's just, it's just so cool to kind of get a peek into this world that couldn't be more different than, than our world uh, back in New York. So from Mississippi to Alabama, which I talked about, and then of course from Alabama to Nashville. Tennessee. And uh, I will tell you in Nashville, uh, I stayed with an old uh, soccer teammate of mine and him and his wife. They're both they're both scientists and figuring out DNA and stuff that uh, just amazing. I got to visit the lab and they had a beautiful uh, like apartment and they're in this sort of complex overlooking a courtyard with a pool. And I had my own room, my own bathroom, and I stayed with them for uh, probably like three days and actually was there on Thanksgiving and we had mushroom risotto for our Thanksgiving dinner because he's from Spain and she's from Canada. And I think the turkey thing just is not part of them. So, but it was good. I enjoyed the meal. Then uh, you know, I went out into the town, both with them and without them. I heard some good live music on the strip there. Uh, Nashville is definitely, I mean, every single place has live music and it's, it's all good, good bands. Uh, rock and roll, of course, some country, just good, good, good stuff. All in all, uh, I love Nashville. I think you guys will love Nashville equally. Just a, a good vibe. And it's interesting, you know, when you go out at night at these places that are sort of uh, still alive despite COVID and everything, like almost everyone, like basically everyone's nice. And like, I, it's hard to explain that, but like different than New York. I don't know. I can't explain it. I won't philosophize. But again, there's there's something to be said about Southern hospitality and just uh, people being nice. Uh, oh, by the way, so I left Nashville uh, eventually, uh, and I was en route to Atlanta. When I get to Atlanta, I totally forgot that I had two other good friends that I worked with back in the day that I that I forgot to reach out to, and so. Uh, I was I was torn what to do, and uh, after a few days in Atlanta, decided to drive back to Nashville to uh, spend time with my friends that I didn't get to. So I did the three-hour journey back, and I'm glad I did it because why not? The name is Paul and Sarah, and they had three little kids, like two, four, and seven, 
two boys and the girl was the baby. I spent the night with them. We went out to eat, all six of us, and came back and put the kids to sleep. And then we hung out and chatted and everything. But I will tell you guys, as you must realize, like for me, it was kind of like going back in time. So literally, it would be 14 years ago in my life that you kids were uh, the mirror identical of what they had going on. And, oh, my God, just too funny. Like the little girl just always... Like running around, the boys, one guy's talk a lot, the other guy's not talk. And it just, it was just amazing. Uh, it was like me stepping back in time. Uh, and they were great kids, as were you. All right, well, let's talk a little bit about Atlanta. So I drive into Atlanta, I get there at nighttime, and as soon as I pull off the parkway, I am heading one way uh, on this road and coming the other way is these bikers and quads and doing wheelies and just as loud as can be. And that was my welcome to Atlanta. And then uh, I find a hotel and as I, uh, I, I go in, I check in, yada, yada. And then I head out and when I go out, I see a like a horse-drawn carriage but unlike Central Park these got like these major speakers in them and they're pumping out pumping out rap music as the horses are you know strutting down with the people inside kind of uh, an interesting thing and then uh, I was hungry so I went to this diner called Landmark Landmark Diner I guess and uh, definitely some good Atlanta home cooking but I walk in there and the music is cranking. I quickly realized like Atlanta is just, or yeah, downtown Atlanta is loud, man. But it's just the way it is. And kind of interesting, uh, again, when you look for the vibe of a town. But nonetheless, uh, I had a turkey dinner at the Landmark Diner because I never actually had my Thanksgiving meal. And uh, it was good, filling, tasty, and all that good stuff. And then I, um, called it a night next day I, I left and my friend Annabelle has suggested I rent a bike and go kind of to this artsy section of Atlanta which I was down with and so when I left the hotel I knew the bicycle rental place was about a mile and a half from uh, where I was staying but with time to kill I figured let me just mosey on and walk it so I come out I see a cop there and I ask him hey you know I show him on my where I'm going I said you know, which way is that? And he points me in the right direction down this Andrew Young Avenue, I guess it is. And so I, I thank him and I, I start walking and uh, just seeing uh, suburban Atlanta, I guess. Then I get to this part where I'm now going to go over a bridge, but it's, I don't know, it doesn't seem really walkable, but there is like a little small lane, but it's more like, so cars don't end up going into the bush. I, uh, I'm going over the bridge and yeah, relatively safe, I guess. Although there's a highway sort of to the left. And then as, I, as I'm getting down near the end of the bridge, it, it kind of is like three like highways sort of merging together. I'm like, Aiden and Devin, it took me back to Paris uh, when we wanted to uh, cross over that that uh, turn at the 
gosh, where was it again? Uh, the Arc de Triumph. And me and Aiden in our, or I don't know, me pushing Aiden, joining equally and decide to cross this like Frogger and get to the other side. Uh, when in the end we found out there was actually an underground tunnel or path that we could have avoided all that insanity. So here I am at this crossroads and I'm like, there is no way I am going to try and outrun cars. So I come, and there's no way I'm walking always back to where I started. So I, I step back another 50 feet or so and I make my way because I, I see across the way there's a, there's like a fence, right? But there's a hole in it. So I'm like, I'm just going to jet across, which I do. And then I, I go up through the hole and certainly knew this was going to be creepy, but really had, in my mind, no choice. And so I go through the hole and now I'm in like a little mini forest situation. And uh, yeah, I walk up because I can see that there's a road at the top and I walk through and of course I see some abandoned little camps to my right and uh, I kind of make my way quite quickly uh, up this hill and boom, pop out, I'm on the street, all's well. I, I walk on and I uh, finally get to the bike place. They got no bikes, but this trail, and now I'm gonna forget the name of it, but it's basically the Atlanta walk, right? And I, I walk and the, the path takes you into this place, Cabbage Town, I guess. And there is like graffiti everywhere on this certain part, this one tunnel covered head to toe. And then uh, you walk down along the railroad tracks and there's just like panes, like little murals, not little, like decent size, running the whole length of this fenced in uh, railroad. So it was cool. I decided with a clearer mind that I would take a taxi back. I end up getting one and I'm in there and the woman's driving me and I, I end up telling her the story of the the journey to Cabbage Town there and she she got a good chuckle out of it. And then uh, I, know, I was talking about all the graffiti and things and then I remembered, I'm not sure if I ever told you this one, but... I was probably like 14, 15 thereabouts. I, for whatever reason, I got in trouble. Uh, grandma and grandpa grounded me and um, I was banished to my room. So as I'm doing my time, so to speak, I was listening at that time. My band was The Doors. I don't know how long my timeout was. It was probably a few days, I'm guessing. And I was finally released for whatever reason. And to this day, I laugh at myself, but I had been working on this graffiti and there's a certain way to draw the doors. It's almost kind of like these block letters. When I got released, I, uh, I went to the local, I guess, hardware store and I purchased some cans of spray paint right up the block from Grandma and Papa's, uh, right where uh, Remsen meets Jericho there. There used to be a, a big car dealership. This is, this is late 70s, I guess. The wall that was along Remsen uh, was just a big old white wall. I end up going there. So one day, <laughs> I, I, I get on my bike and I cruise about four blocks up and I do this 
I do this mid-afternoon. Why, again, I, I just, I don't know. I proceed to spray paint in these big block letters across the white wall, the doors. And as I'm finishing it up, before I even have a chance to admire my art, I hear, hey, and I look over, and it's this guy getting out of a station wagon filled with his family, and I get on my bike, and I start to pedal away, <laughs> and this gentleman catches me, catches up to me in a heartbeat, and basically grabs my shirt and pulls me down to the ground, and he's like, what the hell are you doing? This is the end. Beautiful friend. And I just, I don't even know what I said. He's like, where do you live? And I said, and I pointed down two, three blocks from where we're standing. He walks me and my bike to the house, rings the doorbell. And of course, Papa answers the door. And the guy says, is your son? And he says, yes. And proceeds to tell him what I was doing. My dad, I could see the freaking blood building up in his face as this guy tells this little tale. And I, I catch a, a, a nice right hand smack to the face. I get pulled by the front of my shirt into the house as he tells the guy, I'll take care of it. <laughs> <laughs> to which the guy uh, believed what he said. Yeah, I definitely uh, paid for that one uh, in, in many ways, right down to having to go back to the place and buy white spray paint and cover the whole thing up. So I told the woman the taxes story. She had a good laugh, and I had a good walk down memory lane of the stupid things we do when we're kids. It's over, it's over again. Music in this episode is courtesy of Epidemic Sound and Blue Dot Sessions. A special thanks goes out to Real Love Diplomats for providing the soundtrack to Don't Call It a Memoir. Reaching into Catherine.